0: Hey everyone, welcome to Tom French Preaching. This is the podcast of me, Tom French, preaching. I'm a guy who lives in Melbourne and does Bible talks for youth and other people around Australia and all over the internet. This week, I'm bringing you a talk that I did at Sutz Youth Camp in Melbourne in January 2021. I'm sharing it now because this is a series of talks I did about the stupid stuff Jesus' disciples did. And on 26th of October, I'm releasing my new book, which is all about the same thing. It's called A Dozen Disappointing Disciples, How to Do Stupid Stuff and Still Change the World, which is all about the same theme of stupid disciples and a powerful God. If you like the talk, you'll like the book. Just head to tomfrench.com.au forward slash disciples to check it out and even get a free sample. All right, that's all for now. I hope you enjoy the talk. I wonder if you've ever been publicly rebuked, like we saw Peter get publicly rebuked in that passage just then. Uh, I haven't had many times like that in my life. When I was in school, I was a pretty good kid. I obeyed most of the rules. But I remember one time when I was in year two, I got in big trouble. And when I tell you this story, you will lose some respect for me but it's important to bear your soul honestly when you share the Word of God. So what happened was, we, every Friday afternoon, we would have a times table quiz. And, uh, and during, in the times table quiz, uh, you'd have to you know, fill out your times table, and I uh, mostly hated them. Uh, but we got to one Friday, and I thought to myself, you know, this is an opportunity for me to do something different, to do something really fun. And so I looked around and I looked at what I had available to me and I saw I had my desk available and the desks that we had were these desks which were not the kind of desk you'd sit up and you'd put things under, but a desk that you would lift up a lid and then you'd put things in, which was very good for storing things in and not very good for keeping things on your desk when there was stuff inside the desk. And so I thought to myself, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lift up the lid of my desk and then the teacher won't be able to see me. And then I will do something that is so good, I'll be the hero of the entire class. I'm going to make a fart noise. And I was like, this is going to be so good. And so when the teacher said, all right, everyone, get ready to do your times tables. I was like, here we go. And I lifted up the thing. And then I made a big fart noise. I would do it now, but it's very difficult. When you've got like beard hair, so if just, you know, if you are the kind of person who can grow a beard, but you want to maintain the ability to make fart noise with your hands, don't grow facial hair. Remember that. That's an important life lesson for you all. Anyway, I made this fantastic fart noise. It was, it was brilliant. It was probably the best one I'd ever done. Then I put the lid of the desk down and I just sat there like nothing happened. And I thought I'd pulled off the perfect crime. But then the teacher saw me. She was like, Tom, outside right now. And I was like, oh my goodness. I'm get caught. And then suddenly I had that feeling, you know, when you get in trouble, then your stomach drops and then all your legs, start, your legs and your arms get jelly-like. And I kind of walked out and I sat down and I was so afraid of what was going to happen to me. I was like, this is the first time I've been, ever been sent out of the classroom. What are my parents going to think? What are my grandparents going to think? What are the papers going to say? Am I going to be expelled? Am I going to go to jail? What's going to happen? And then the teacher came out And got me in big trouble for making fart noises, and I never did it again. And I felt terrible for what I had done but also a little bit like a bit of a hero because I made a great fart noise. Now, Peter, in this passage, he gets in trouble from Jesus, not for making fart noises in front of Jesus, which, I don't know, Jesus might have thought that was funny, but something a whole lot worse than that. He tells Jesus off. And if there's anyone who you shouldn't tell off, it's Jesus. But before we get to that, we've got to you know start at the beginning of the story, which you heard what it said. And it said at the beginning, uh, Jesus says to the disciples, he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And this is the ancient equivalent of Googling yourself. Because you couldn't Google yourself back then. I don't know if you've ever Googled yourself. I have Googled myself. I am not that popular. Like if I Google myself in Australia with my account, then Google's like, oh, Tom, here you are. Number one on the search. But if I do it through like a VPN in the US, I am like fifth page down and I find myself vaguely down. I'm like, there I am. And there's just like a thousand other Tom Frenches before me. So it's not that great for my ego. But what Jesus does, because he doesn't have Google, he asks them, what, who do people say that he is? And they've got all these different ideas. Some people say that he is like John the Baptist. Some people say, that he is like Elijah. Some people say that he is like Jeremiah. Now, the thing about all these men is that they are all prophets, and they're all people who had a significant ministry of calling people to repentance, and they were all dead. And Now, it's not that the people of Jesus' day thought that Jesus was actually like a zombie walking around and preaching, but they thought that Jesus had a ministry that was like their ministry, that the things that he said was like those other people, those other prophets. And so uh, what Jesus then does is he says to the disciples, what about you? Who do you say I am? And then Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus turns to him and says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And what has happened here is that Peter... Simon Peter, has said to Jesus, you know who you are? You're the Messiah. And when he talks about the Messiah, what he's saying is that you are the king who we have been waiting for for thousands of years, the one who is going to come and who's going to rule Israel, their country, and as he rules Israel, he's is going to bring it back to its former glory, like in the times of King David and King Solomon, but greater than that. Than that. He's going to rule in his kingdom forever, and Israel is going to become the greatest nation on earth, and all the world will see how amazing Israel is because the king, the Messiah has come, and it's Jesus. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, you got it. You figured it out. And Peter must have felt amazing at that point. And then you see what Jesus goes on to say. He says, So he turns to Peter and he says, you've figured it out, Peter. And you know what? You're not going to be called Simon anymore. You're going to be called Peter because up to this point, everyone was calling him Simon, but now he's going to be called Peter. And the reason why he's calling him Peter is because the name Peter means what? Who can tell me? Rock. It means rock. And he's saying, you, Peter, have made the confession. You've said that I am the king and that I'm going to establish this God's kingdom here on earth. And because of this, you as the leader of the disciples are going to be the leader of the church because you have figured out the truth. And you're going to share this good news with the world that I am who I am. And Peter has, has now been told that he's figured it out and you know he's got help from God, but he's probably feeling pretty good that he figured it out himself and that he's going to be the one on which the church is going to be built. He's going to be feeling amazing. And then Jesus says, don't tell anyone about this. And so then they move on with things, and Jesus says to them this. He says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter hears this and he doesn't like it at all because he knows what the Messiah is meant to be like. He knows the job of the Messiah because the job of the Messiah is to be the king and to kick out the, the evil Romans who are you know, ruling over the country of Israel and to kick them out and to, to rule in their place and to have a great military and to be powerful. He hears what Jesus is saying. It's like, this is entirely wrong. And it says that Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Peter is probably feeling great by this point because he knows that he's the rock, he's Peter. He's figured out who the Messiah is and he also knows what the Messiah should do. And so he's like, well, I better tell Jesus off because Jesus doesn't know what the Messiah should do. He doesn't know how the Messiah should behave. So he's pulled inside and saying, Jesus, you don't know what the Messiah is like. Get your head in the game. The Messiah does not die. The Messiah doesn't die, he goes and he rules. You've got to go and rule, Jesus. Not die, rule. Don't let them fill your head with lies. You're gonna be strong, Jesus. And Peter probably felt like he was, you know, totally in the right because he is the rock. He figured out who the Messiah is, and Jesus has just got these funny ideas in his head. He's just a negative Nelly. I was going Nancy? It's Nancy. Nelly is fine. Nancy is negative. He's a negative Nancy. And uh and, and Jesus has just got to figure it out, get his head right. And then Jesus turns to Peter and says this, get behind me, Satan. Poor old Peter. He'd been having such a good day. And then he gets called Satan. Like that's got to ruin your day, doesn't it? And you might be wondering, like, why would Jesus call Peter Satan. Like, isn't Jesus meant to be a nice guy? Isn't he meant to say nice things to people? Like, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He's not meant to say mean things, like, you're Satan. Like, that's mean. Come on, Jesus. Like, Jesus did have some harsh things to say to people. Like, the harshest thing he said to anyone was, like, to the Pharisees when he called them children of the devil, which is bad. But do you know what's worse than being children of the devil? being the devil himself. And that's what he calls Peter. He calls Peter Satan. He says, You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Why would Jesus be so harsh on Peter? Well, the reason is that Peter is tempting Jesus with something that he really, really wants. If you remember, uh, if you've heard the story of Jesus when Jesus gets tempted in the wilderness by Satan... Uh, He spends some time in the wilderness and Satan comes to him and he gives him all these different things that he can have. And one thing that he offers Jesus is he says, Jesus, if you just worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus knows that he is the Messiah. He knows that he's the king. And he knows that he's going to have all the kingdoms of the world. He knows that they're all going to come and they're all going to worship him. But if they're going to worship him, the way that he gets there is by going to the cross first. But what Satan offers him is he offers him the opportunity to to rule and to be great without having to die. And that's a pretty tempting offer. Like, if you've got a would-you-rather situation going on, like, would-you-rather, you know lead a great army? Would you rather have everyone bow down to you? Would you rather sit on a throne in a great palace? Or would you rather have nails put through your hands and your feet and be stabbed in your side? Like that's a pretty easy would you rather to figure out. Like that's even easier than would you rather have spaghettis for arms or a meatball for a head? And that's easy to figure out as well because definitely not the meatball because you'd be dead spaghetti for arms. That's the logical choice. It's easy to choose. You don't want to go die. Jesus didn't want to die on the cross. Because it would hurt, it would be painful, and more than that, it would be spiritually painful for what it does to him with his relationship with his father. But he knew that that was the way that God had asked him to work. That was a path that God had set him on, so that he could redeem humanity, so that he didn't rule in strength, but he ruled as a servant king. That he didn't win by killing his enemies, but he won and beat sin and death by being killed by his enemies. And so when Peter encourages Jesus not to go to the cross, when he tells him that the Messiah doesn't die and the Messiah doesn't get tortured, Peter is giving him the temptations of Satan. He is a mouthpiece for Satan. And so Jesus is completely right to call him Satan at that point in time. And so Peter gets rebuked by Jesus because he doesn't understand how God's kingdom works. God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom that doesn't work the way that we expect it to. That strength comes first through service. That life comes first through death. That power comes because a king came to give his life up for those people who would have power over him. That is an upside-down kingdom and Peter doesn't understand it. And so then Jesus turns to the disciples and he explains to them a bit more about what then it means to be part of this upside-down kingdom, what it means to follow the king of the upside-down kingdom. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. But whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And what, Peter, what Jesus is saying to Peter and the rest of the disciples here is that To follow Jesus, to gain your life, you must lose it. To follow the king, you need to follow him to the cross. You need to be willing to go and die like he was willing to die for you. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It is an upside-down way of following the king of the upside-down kingdom. And now we might look at this story of Peter and we might go, okay, that's an interesting story and great, let's move on. But the question is, are we willing to be the kind of people who try and avoid making the same mistake as Peter? Because we do dumb things regularly. Maybe this is a dumb thing that we don't want to do. So how do we avoid making the same mistakes that Peter made? Well, the first thing I think that we can do to avoid that uh, is to make sure that we don't make assumptions. Peter had an assumption about how the king should behave, how the Messiah should live, and he tried to force that assumption on Jesus. But assumptions are going to get you in trouble. My father liked to make the joke Assuming makes an ass out of you and me, which is a bad joke because it's a spelling joke, and spelling jokes are the worst kind of jokes, but... It is also a good truth that I remember that if you make assumptions that you're going to get yourself into trouble, things are going to go wrong for you. And I regularly make assumptions. I told you earlier today that, um, that I uh, bought tickets to the Harry Potter at the wrong time. Well, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that ha- how that happened because I know that you really want to revel in one of the worst moments of my life with me. The way it worked was uh, I heard that Harry Potter was coming to Melbourne and I was very excited and I knew my wife was going to be even more excited, so I was like, I'm going to buy her tickets for her birthday, and I was like, she'll be so happy to get these tickets to Harry Potter for her birthday, and so I found out when they would go on sale, and the day they went on sale, uh, I... You know, got ready and I, I I signed in and it said, There are two thousand people ahead of you in the queue. And I was like, Right, I'm ready. I'm just gonna wait for all those two thousand people to buy their tickets. I found the date that I wanted to go in May, and I found that date in May, and I was ready for it. And then there was one thousand people in the queue, and then there was five hundred people in the queue, and then two hundred people, and then fifty people, and I'm getting ready with my with my mouse, and it's like twenty, and it's like it's your time, Tom. And I was like, quick, 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 and I went through the calendar, click, 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 through to May. April, through to May, and I was like, there's the, there's the date that I want, and I clicked on it, and I found the tickets that I wanted. And I was like, that's what I want. And I bought it as quickly as possible so they wouldn't disappear, and then I got it. I got the email, and there was the email, you've got tickets to Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. I was like, yes, i got tickets to Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. And then the next day, I went to my wife and said, I've got you tickets to Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. I was like, husband, why did you do this for me? I was like, because I'm a great husband husband. It's like, you spent too much money on me. I was like, I know I did. I'm a great husband. And then, you know, we had to wait a long time because her birthday is in August and we had to wait till May. And then the night before we were meant to go to the theater, I sat down and I opened up my computer and I went to print out the tickets and I got on the site and I was like, these tickets won't print. Why would they print? And I looked at them. and I was like, yeah, it's the right day. And I print like the numbers are correct. Yeah. And I was like, hold on a tick. That says April. And we're in May. And she was sitting next to me on the couch at that point. I was like, do I tell her or not? I was like, is there a way I can fix this? Can I spend $1,000 buying some from a scalper? I don't know. And I was like, but she looked at me, and I was like, what? And I was like, oh. And she was like, what's wrong? And I was like, um, <laughs> we totally missed Harry Potter. By an entire month. Just like, what? And then she felt and then she she would have been really angry at me, but she looked and she saw how terrible I felt. And she wasn't really angry at me, because she's a lovely, forgiving wife. And I booked a hotel in the city for us to go stay at. So we went and stayed at the city and then walked past the ho- the, the theater and just felt terrible. And and the reason why that happened is that I made assumptions all the way through. I assumed I was on the right day on the calendar when I clicked it and bought the tickets, and I was wrong. And I assumed that I had bought the right days, so I didn't read the email. And when I went to print out the email, I assumed that I had the right, bought the right days and the, had the right day in the calendar, and so I, I thought it was all going to be okay. All the assumptions meant that I was totally wrong. If I had just read it at some point before that day in April, we would have been fine. I know what we were doing in that day in April. When, the, when our seats were empty. We were sitting at home eating hash browns, which are great, but not as good as going to the theater. We lost like $400 on that whole thing because I was dumb and I made an assumption. Now, that's a small thing compared to making an assumption about the kingdom of God that you think you know better than God, that if you think that you are not going to check up on what God wants for you, that you're not going to check up on what God is calling you to or how God is calling you to live and you just think that you know, you think you know because of what people might have told you or because of what your friends have said or because of what you feel is right or because of what you think you know, is going to impress your parents or impress the people around you, but you don't spend the time figuring out what Jesus is calling you to do. You're going to make an assumption and you're going to get it wrong because God's kingdom is an upside down kingdom and you can easily get things wrong. If you are following a king who saves the world by dying for it, then what makes you think that you can figure out on your own that you know what God is up to? And so how do you make sure that you don't make assumptions? Well, you have to, you have to ask If Peter had just said to Jesus, when Jesus said he's going to die, he said, Jesus, I don't really understand this. You say that you're going to die, but the Messiah shouldn't die. Can you explain this to me? Jesus would say, well, Peter, let me explain to you. And he might have taken him to the Old Testament and shown him things in there and, you know, explained things to him. But he didn't ask, so he never found out. He didn't ask, so he could listen. So ask. You know how to ask. You spend a lot of your life asking well, if you're anything like me, you do because you know, we, we Google things and YouTube things all the time to ask questions and find out answers. Like you jump on and you're like, you know, how to make rice. And then Google tells you, and then like how to get a girlfriend, and then YouTube tells you, and then how to make rice to get a girlfriend, and then the internet tells you some more, and then how to invite girlfriend over to house to eat rice and impress her with your amazing rice skills, and then you get told by the internet, then how to kiss girl after you've impressed her with your rice, and then you get told, and then how to uh, get uncancelled after you accidentally kiss girl because you think she's impressed with you, but she's actually just impressed with your wife, and now you are in trouble and you got me too That's another big question to ask. And then you ask how to get a job at McDonald's like Lars. And then you've Googled and you know how to ask questions. You know how it works, right? Well, how do you ask what God wants? How do you ask about God's kingdom? How do you hear what he has to say to you? It's right here. Now, you've got other people in your life who can help you. You've got friends. You've got family. You've got pastors. You've got youth pastors. You've got youth leaders. You've got the internet. And they've all got good things to say. But the place where God speaks to you is right here, and if you want to know what god 's upside down kingdom is like, then you want to find out from the King of the kingdom what, it, what He is calling you to, how He is calling you to live. If you want a good place to start, then start in Matthew chapters five sorry yeah five to seven that 's the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus explains what it means to be part of his kingdom, where the kingdom where enemies are loved, the kingdom where you instead of talking about how great you are you put others before yourself. The kingdom where the poor are cared for. The kingdom where you pray and you trust God as your father. The kingdom where you don't need to strive because God strives for you, where you don't need to worry because God is on your side. That is what God's kingdom is all about, is the upside-down kingdom that is not what you would expect, but is the kingdom that God calls you to live in. And as you spend time listening to God in His word, and exploring it with his people and asking them to help you to understand it, then you will hear what he has to say. And you'll hear what he is calling you to and how he is calling you to live. And you won't make assumptions about how God wants you to treat other people because you will have heard it from him. You won't make assumptions about what God is calling you to do with your life because you will have heard it from him. Now, he's not going to say to you, make sure that you go and you work for NASA and you solve climate change. That's not going to be in there. But he might call you to do that. But but he will call you to make sure that whatever you do glorifies him. And whatever you do is done out of love for him and love for others. And then as you talk to others and his people, then you will figure out how he is calling you to live. And then the third thing that you can do, and this is the last thing that you can make sure that you do, is that you you are willing to be someone who takes up your cross. That you are willing to be someone who pays the price of following the king of the upside-down Kingdom. You know, when Jesus says to the disciples, when he tells them to take up their cross and follow him, they they understand exactly what he is talking about. Because the cross was an instrument of torture. And so if you take up your cross, you are going to go and die. If I said to you, go and get your bathers, you would know, oh, we're going for a swim. If I said to you, go and get a shovel, you'd say, oh, we're going to bury a body. If I said... And if Jesus says to you, go and get your cross, you know you are going to die. And it doesn't mean that you're going to you know, physically die every day. That would be impossible. But that what it's saying is that you must be willing to die to yourself, to the things that you want, to your own assumptions about what is right and what is best, and to give yourself to God and know what he wants, what he gives you is right, what he asks you to do that is best. And it might mean making decisions that will upset your friends. It might be making decisions that will uh, cause you to lose popularity. It might mean making decisions that will upset your parents. It might mean making decisions that will mean that you won't have as easy a life as you could have. But if you're willing to take up the cross and follow him, then you know that you are in the place where he calls you to. If you are following Jesus and it's not costing you anything, then I guess you might not be actually following Jesus because it costs you to follow him and it can cost you everything to follow him. Are you willing to follow him? Are you willing to follow the king of the upside-down kingdom? If you are, you will find that there is life there because those who are willing to lose their life will save it. Because when you give yourself to Jesus, you find that He has the best life for you, the one that He has made you for. Are you willing to pay that price? Are you willing to give yourself to the upside down kingdom? If you are someone who is not a Christian, then what this means for you is that you, at the moment, are not in God's kingdom, you're in the world. You are living however you want. And if you're having a good time, then that's great. But you are missing out on the king of the entire universe who calls you to live life with him. And if you are by yourself, then when it comes time to deal with sin and death, then you don't have a king watching out for you. You only have yourself. But Jesus invites you into his kingdom. He gave his life so that you could be welcomed in. Will you be willing to put your trust in him? You're getting an opportunity on uh, Friday night to give your life to Jesus. If you're here and you are not a Christian, then use tonight and tomorrow and Friday to be thinking about, is this something that I want to commit myself to? Do I want to commit myself to the king of the upside-down kingdom? And if you are a Christian, then what this means for you is make sure that you are someone who doesn't make assumptions about what God wants for you or what God thinks is best, but actually listens to God. Ask him, read his word, listen to him in prayer, talk to his people, and then be willing to make the sacrifices that he calls you to make, because in making those sacrifices, you will find your life, and you'll find you have the best life that he calls you to, because you are living for the king. I'm going to say a prayer for us, and I think the band is going to come up while I pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you for uh, your word and we thank you uh, that it has such challenge in it for us. We thank you for King Jesus, that he was willing to give his life for us, that he was willing to go to the cross for us. I pray that we will not misunderstand the way that you call us to live, that we will not make assumptions about what is right, uh, but we will be people uh, who are willing to I ask you what you want, to listen to you and to your people and to commit ourselves to taking up our cross daily and following you because we know that we are following a God who loves us and we are following a King who gave everything so that we might have everything with him. Amen. Thanks for listening. I hope that was helpful for you. If you want to get your hands on a dozen disappointing disciples or check out a free sample, head to tomfrench.com.au forward slash disciples. You can also find my other books, videos, and more also at my website. So feel free to check it out. And don't forget to give this podcast a rating and review wherever you get your podcast so that other people might be able to discover it. Till next time, have a good one.